Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome, JC, to the Friday, Black Friday edition of the show. (laughs) Black Friday. JC and I are uh, recording this. We have a little humanitarian issue that we have to deal with, help a friend out in need this afternoon. So we are not doing this. uh, We are not broadcasting this live. We're actually recording it live, but not broadcasting it live. And no, we are not uh, doing a pre-record because JC and I are out at Walmart boxing people over the new PlayStation. No. Can you guys picture JC at Walmart on Black Friday? I just I, I just want to toss that out there to the chat room for just a second. The little yes. musing in your mind of JC at Walmart on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing in the Hall family in any shape, way, shape, or form, much less I, with JC. <laughs> None of that stuff has ever made sense to me. No, you you did it on a lark with yeah some girls on a lark. Time. <laughs> um, no, we actually got up. That was many, 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 many moons ago. Just because I like having an experience, right? Just yeah. to have the experience. I'm going to jump out there and do it just just to have the experience. And we actually went at like that's when Black Friday actually began at like two o'clock in the morning or something. And now they just go on forever. But we actually got up and went to Walmart at like two o'clock in the morning to be there when the black Friday doors opened, came back with funny stories and yes, general stories <laughs> of general disgust. Yeah. That sort of thing. So it was, all, it was like a people fighting over fuzzy yeah. socks and stuff. <laughs> it's just that corresponds to one of the things you had on, on, on the list today. Cause it was like a sociological. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Study. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's my experience. Yeah. Go to Walmart on Black Friday, jump out of a hot air balloon tied to a bungee cord. Yeah, so there's that's nothing what I need to about. study about that. <laughs> I'm pretty well settled on my conclusions and uh yeah, won't be participating in that ever. Yeah, so getting back to the sociological aspect, uh last week. Uh, I was bombarded by a study published in 1956 by a M.A. What is M.A.? Master? He's he's a psychologist. A psychologist. Okay. His name is Albert Biderman, published in 1956-1957. And this is the title of the study, Communist Attempts to Elicit False Confessions from Air Force Prisoners of War. Now, what's interesting is that there is a connection then uh, inside Biderman's report is a chart on coercion. And this is how the Biderman report is now resurfacing uh, in in modern application and through this this comparative chart. And the people asking me, because they know this is your wheelhouse and People want verification of their understanding. They want, you know, better illumination on their understandings. And they wanted to know what is what is the value and the relevance of Biderman's study for us today? Because, you know, we're a teach show, not a talk show. And history and connecting the dots is all within 
what what we do here. So that's it. They just connect the dots for him, JC, with this. Yeah, well, his his work was um, in th this in particular was observation of of uh, prisoner of war from the Korean War, Air Force prisoners of war from Korean War and and uh, the um, uh, interrogations that they were subjected to. And, and so he made he made some insightful and accurate observations of how of the techniques of coercion. Um, and I think this story was published under uh, brainwash, like the report topic was brainwashing was the um, was one of the uh, labels used as this thing was widely publicized, but to elicit false confessions. Yeah. yeah so, but, I mean, basically, but it, but it's to change people's it's just, minds, just generally about coercion um, and, and control, controlling a person's behavior. And so, yeah, his, I've said this before that, if you accurately uh, uh, analyze, you know, accurately draw conclusions about human behavior, then it'll stand the test of time, right? So his right. observations were accurate and insightful as he cataloged these techniques of, of coercion and behavioral control and, and sort of two stages of, of um, uh, compl or, uh, what is compliance, but um, yeah, compliant, being compliant so that you, uh, you kind of break their resistance. So it's that ideal of, of not resisting. So it's kind of the, one of the objects, but then also getting them to perform certain tasks. Uh, so it's compliance and performance where it was how he sort of divided the analysis. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so you basically have a chart like this is, it's been used over since many years uh, in, in many areas talking about co coercion uh cults like study of cults you see cults use that um it's used uh in domestic violence yeah and that sort of thing um but you can see you see the political system politicians using this advertisers i mean so it's not it's not something that the chinese communists in this case invented uh per se or that the doctor invented but it was what it's a tool that they use. It's been it's been used uh, very widely in communist regimes, right? Because you know you have a different sort of value system of of human beings. You know yes. what I mean? Of so how you have you would... to brainwash people into to believing those values. Yeah, but I'm what I'm saying is, at least in overt terms, uh, what what you would call lowercase d democratic countries don't openly use techniques like this mm -hmm. right although you will find you will find this nonetheless but the communist countries this was this was sort of a systematic part of how they treated their populace and, and employing these techniques of coercion um, against various people and groups of people so so yeah this is basically what we've been seeing uh since february since the since the covid so the covid this whole covid pandemic and how mm -hmm. it's been used how the politicians have used the governments have used it uh, is essentially the same techniques right. that you would find in interrogation of prisoners of war so the american people have been subjected to the same process processes to which prisoners of wars uh prisoners of war would be subjected Shockingly enough, by our own governors, yeah. by our own legislators, right. by our own county commissioners, by our own 
uh, city council mayors, our sheriffs, police chiefs. I mean, look at this down here, you know, the, the whole degradation, demeaning punishments, insults, taunts, denial of privacy. Uh, you know, I mean, all of these things are just absolutely uh, pretending cooperation. Yeah, you go right down the list. I mean, it's, it's just it's crazy. Been pretty well textbook. And the so, fact yeah, that our government and and one of those things, you know, I mean, those if you don't know these things, what Barbara said, you don't know what you don't know. Right. If you don't know these methodologies, then you can't yeah, you might not notice recognize them. what's going on. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's and that's where this is. I think it's useful because uh, Biderman can, you know, consolidated that into this chart, a very clear. That's uh, the greatest part. Progression. His chart. So it's when you look at it, and I guess like when you first mentioned, I thought, well, duh, yeah, I, I thought it was obvious. Um, maybe it's not obvious to everybody, but that's what I think. That's what this is the power of the organization of this that came out of that study was how it's just right there in front of you in a simple to understand mm -hmm. chart. And you can just see what's happening uh, very clearly. So it is, it is useful, very powerful. And it's incredible how, uh, again, you're talking uh, right around 1960. So how, how many years is, I mean, over, over 60 years at this point. Yeah, well, um, it's 1957, so that puts yeah. us at so 70, um, well, 68, 63 yeah. years. So, you know, it's just one of those things that it's been around a while. And as and as I said, it's not something he didn't come up with the use of the technique. No, he, right? he mentions in the documents. report, it's nothing new that, yeah. that we observed. But now he makes a distinction about how the, what the Chinese communists were doing relative uh, different than the North mm -hmm. Koreans um, where there, there was this sense of, I don't know. And he, and he describes it as irrational. So it's hard to sort of talk about why or what they were doing in a, in a logical sense, but there was, there was this strange desire to, to have them um, confirm, right. Have the prisoners confirm and assent to the communist worldview. Mm -hmm. So, that was really almost without without any tangible gain. You know what I mean? So right. he talked about the what the false confessions would accomplish. Mm -hmm. It didn't make a lot of sense. So why why they would want them to sort of express things in this manner um, was of no practical necessarily practical value, but was sort of uh, false confessions for the sake of false confessions in that. There was some some sort of any just I think he describes it as a mystery, this sort of need yeah, that's... to for and what I think and in this just conjecture looking at it, and which I'm sure they could also do, but chose not to. Um uh I always feel like there's a sense that a majority of the the socialist in these systems have this innate awareness of of the failure of of their philosophy and mm -hmm. the and the lie in it mm -hmm. so they all almost like they need this vindication confirmation. Almost, they need okay. to be vindicated yeah. in the sense of you, <laughs> they have to get you agreeing with them mm -hmm. um, because there's that itching doubt in their own mind right you know what i mean because mm -hmm. it, it's always funny to me when you hear when you challenge the socialist with history 
and how the response throughout the ages has been, well, you just don't have the right people implementing it. So there's an acknowledgement right. in that statement that, yeah, it's been an utter failure every time it's been tried. Right. 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 But so so, you know, that 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 doubt is there. The doubt yeah. is inherently there. <laughs> Will I that fail you too? cannot find a successful uh, illustration of mm -hmm. of of full on socialist, you know, the full on implementation of this ideology. They can't find it. And they, it, even they know that. Right. And right. So I think that's some of the weird psychology going on with these Chinese communists. I found time. the last paragraph in this very, very, uh, uh, very, very inquisitive. I don't know what made me think a lot. I don't know. Put that words. The mystery associated with you were talking about the mystery, the mystery associated with the things I have discussed stems not from their rationality, but from their irrationality. Mm -hmm. Unlike cynical Nazis who merely perpetrated the big lie, the Chinese communist personnel whom our prisoners encountered in Korea were required to live the big lie. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was an amazing maybe progression or that's the whole confirmation yeah, aspect of it. Or it's, I think it describes a lot of like what I was saying. I, uh, I use the term street, like street anarchists and street communists. Uh, it describes that crowd because you're at once a perpetrator while at the same time a useful idiot yeah true right? believers it's like aoc true believers you, she she's you know driving the agenda mm -hmm. while at the same time not really fully comprehending right you know what she's doing she's she's a <laughs> she's so stupid that she she can successfully be a very productive puppet so then you go back okay so they're going to bring you back to our foundation Hannah Winthrop saying, how often do we see people precipitately maddening on to their own destruction? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what she's talking about. Right. You you have people like AOC, you have people like the like the Antifas and the BLMs, and they don't even realize that what they're asking for is their own destruction. Or not, you know, going along while not not sort of grasping the contradictions of the thing. So she like the other day when she was she's mad at Biden because <laughs> there are rich people being plugged into this yeah. Marxist system. Yeah. So just, you know, the useful idiot like, have you have no clue duh. that Marxism <laughs> has always been driven by uber elite duh. oligarchy. Duh, duh. So so I think that's some of it. So yeah. when when he's referring to the Chinese communists in Korea, like they actually sort of had to play that role of right you know, not only carrying it out, but actually, you know, you have to full heartedly believe this and, and accept this. And then it was almost this weird longing of, you know, you believe what I believe, you know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's worthy to believe this. And that I think you run into a lot more of the useful idiots in the streets like that here. Yeah. Like I think about Hillary Clinton. I, I've always said this Hillary Clinton, she's not, it, 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 people say, oh, Hillary Clinton is for this and for that and what she stands for. She doesn't stand for anything. Hillary Clinton stands for Hillary Clinton. So she's not, at least at that level, the useful idiot type. You know what I mean? She knows mm -hmm. she's conning people. She knows she's taking advantage of people. She knows nothing that she's proposing is going to help anyone except herself. Right. 
So I don't put her in that class of true believer. When you talk about Marxist or whatever ideology, mm -hmm. she, she does not have an ideology except the ideology of self. So she's a total, uh, she and, and Bill are total sociopaths mm -hmm. and the ideology that they carry is simply the one that enables them the most at this time to carry out their devious agenda. Right. But they're not, they're not believers in the sense of, Oh, I've got to convince you of this ideology because it's, it's some higher moral, Oh uh, no, <laughs> you know, philosophy they're, or whatever. Yeah. No, they don't care. They're all about themselves. It's about them. And, it's about and, them. and, and they put whoever and however many people, in the meat grinder to accomplish uh, their own aggrandizement. I mean, that's that's really the sum. Which total is of it. Marxism in and of itself. It's, yeah, so. but <laughs> right. But again, that's just a, it's just a tool for them. Right. I don't. I really don't feel like they have a they have some sort of. They're not an moral attachment. Yeah, they're no. not they're ideologues. They're, they're sociopaths. They're narcissistic. Yeah, narcissistic sociopaths. You know, and and that type of person. It's not about ideology. It's about self. Right. Right. It's just you can't get away with what they want to get away with in a free market system governed by the rule of law. Right. Right. So that's why they have to choose the other ideology, not because they're so much for it, because, you know, we're after this utopia and, and helping so many people. No, it's it's you can abandon the rule of law. You right. can throw morality out the window and you can be as murderous as you want to be in this. Right. System. So that's that's why they are. Uh, Marxist in that sense. It's almost right. like I, I think about Obama when people were saying, oh, is he a Muslim and not a Muslim? And there was this distinction of uh, Muslim by religion or Muslim by practice or Muslim by birth. Right. And right. In the, in the right. Islamic society, just just you being born to a Muslim parents in that sense makes you a Muslim. But it doesn't mean doesn't mean he was necessarily morally committed to that faith. Because as we investigated Obama's stated faith, uh, he was his own God. He's a New Age occultist uh, who had an affinity for Muslims because right. of his uh, his heritage and his hatred of of America. Uh, so it's kind of like that with the Clintons. It's sort of different a different breed of the sociopathic worldview where it's all about me and whatever whatever philosophies and ideologies happens to forward what I want. Right. That's where they are. Well, this is breaking today. Uh, U.S. court rejects Trump appeal over Pennsylvania race. So this is the federal court of appeals in Philadelphia today rejected uh, the Trump legal team's effort to challenge the election results in a case that could reach the Supreme Court if Trump appeals, which I'm sure he will, because it's all about getting outside of of this this jurisdiction because of the fact that many people believe that while you're in the midst of this circuit, you're not going to get an opinion that is absent political agenda. I think that's probably the best way that I can to talk this. But this is actually interesting because the circuit courts, JC, the third circuit court, like every other circuit court of appeal, is not one judge. It's a three judge panel. And all three judges are Republican appointed. But let us remember that er, uh, that Eric Holder was also appointed by Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. So 
just being Republican appointed doesn't actually mean that you are a constitutionalist or a conservative, which is going to be a repeating theme here today. But nonetheless, uh, Judge Stephanos Bibas, a Trump appointee and former law professor, wrote for the three-judge panel, and he says, quote, free, fair elections are the lifeblood of our democracy. Charges of unfairness are serious, but calling an allegation unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here. And if that's something that that you can see through the thread of this particular opinion is the complaint of the judges that there uh, lack of proof. There's a lack of proof that what they're actually doing is ranting over mis- what they see as a perceived misjustice, but not actually providing proof for it. U.S. District Judge jo- uh, Judge Matthew Brand. Uh, said the campaign's error-filled complaint, quote, like Frankenstein's monster has been haphazardly stitched together and denied uh, Giuliani the right to amend it for a second time. So they filed an amended complaint. And I wonder having, you know, and this is not obviously a pro-Trump or an anti-Trump. This is just simply a, a presentation of what the judges are saying. I wonder if maybe in their haste they didn't put together the best argument that um, they could have. And we've been seeing on along that Trump has been very dissatisfied with his legal team and but not actually hearing why, what exactly his his problems were. But, you know. Uh, one of his Trump lawyer, Jenna Ellis, says the activist judicial judicial machinery in Pennsylvania continues to cover up the allegations of massive fraud. So what we're going to find out is that. What will the courts outside this jurisdiction have to say about the same material presented? Because remember, that's what the appeal is all about. An appeal actually does not take on the review of evidence. An appeal takes on the review of the court, prior court's handling of law and evidence. So from this point forward, there's no new evidence to be presented unless, of course, there is newly discovered evidence that didn't come through before that, but that's a whole different judicial rule. You have uh, that same judge, Justice Braun, said one might expect that when seeking a, such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption. That has not happened. Now, the reason I pointed that out, JC, is because. There are several subjective terms in there, Uh, compelling legal arguments, rampant corruption. Uh, What we'll see in the appeal, I think, is not, again, not whether the evidence, not a value on the evidence, but the level of the evidence. So did, did this lower court somehow dismiss the compelling nature of the evidence? Did this current court dismiss the um oh sorry guys dismiss the proof and what is rampant corruption 
So that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? When you say rampant corruption, that seems to me He's to say no corruption. Right, exactly. So at what level of corruption? Yeah, what level do what level of corruption is acceptable? Exactly. And I think that I think the probably the more um you know cogent question is uh very simply how many ballots would that affect right uh in relation to the margin um of separation between the trump votes and biden votes i mean that's really what you're trying to that's the question you're trying to answer well in some places you're cases. talking about eighty thousand. some places you're talking about twenty thousand. i mean right. and, and that may be but that may be kind of the thought process in the argument of these judges but then the question is if the system is so corrupt and you have this indication of how it's working how can you possibly get get in there to ballot by ballot no right to be able to answer that question which right. of these are valid which are not so it's it seems to me that the the judges in rejecting these cases are 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 sort of closing the door of even getting into that because here's the thing when you look at and I heard Giuliani kind of express this when they have these all of these indications and 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 the evidence that you know maybe for the judges the judges doesn't rise to rampant corruption or corruption that would tip the election um I've heard Giuliani talk about, well, these places are controlled by these Democrat, the Democrats. Right. And they can't even get in there. They can't right. even get to this information to be able to do this thing. And the the the, the one uh, press conference that I heard him talk about was we're private citizens. We are private attorneys. We're not government attorneys. So we we can't even get this stuff without right. government cooperation. Right. He, and he said, if I were if I were where I used to be. Uh, probably many people would already be in jail and we would have the, this information. So it's an interesting argument and in, in how that people say, oh, well, these cases were rejected. The case keeps getting thrown out. And right. so obviously, you know, all this is bogus. There's no corruption. Everything that you're saying is a lie. <laughs> Which is Seems hilarious. like a leap to me yeah. when you realize, well, the government is kind of uh, put a put a barrier around a lot of this stuff, which is why I brought up the point of the judge saying uh, about rampant yeah, corruption. Rampant corruption. What if the corruption is strategically placed? It's not rampant. It is isolated uh, corruption. But those isolations create a a, a an in inaccessibility and an inability. Uh, it actually creates, like you said, the barrier. Well, maybe it's not rampant. Maybe it's isolated, but maybe that's all it needs to be. But at what point, right? Exactly what point of corruption is too much? Well, I think if you're... You're talking about you're an election. If you're sincere about, about uh, a fair election, a secure election, then any indication of corruption would require further investigation. Right. And I think that's at the core of what's going on, mm -hmm. that the Trump team is pointing out, hey, here we have these things. But then the people in the people responsible for for looking into that and going further are not and right. won't because they're Biden supporters. And and I and I think that's been the appeal. I, I don't know how well it's been made, but that's the conversation that I've heard uh, Giuliani, and I don't fully trust the guy, but I've heard him repeat that 
that sort of narrative over and over again. So in that sense, it's hard for me. I don't want to be, you know, doubting Thomas, but it's, it's hard for me to see this going uh, where they would like it to go, where the Trump team would like it to go if state legislatures don't get involved. So it seems to me for, for an outcome favorable to Donald Trump, um, depending on what the Supreme court will say and mm -hmm. how that affects things. Uh, it seems like the state legislatures in these places will have to get involved. Let me just go ahead and put a little pop up here, a little fake news for you guys. Uh, this is in the a last line in the AP article. I'll give you the title of the article up here. Appeals court rejects Trump's challenge to Pennsylvania race. Uh, down here, it says all 50 states must certify their results before the Electoral College meets on December 14th. That is true. And any challenge to the results must be resolved by December 8th. That is not true. That is absolutely not true. As long as you have a case pending in the courts, then there is no uh, that that challenge. There is no date deadline for due process. Let's just be very clear. Uh, they, the, and again, speculation, of course, both won, Biden won both the Electoral College and the popular vote wide by wide margins. The problem is here, um, there's been no Electoral That's, College vote yet. Right. So That's I don't a know. Self-contradictory statement right. in two regards. That yes. and the fact that it's talking about when they must certify, which they have not done. Right. So the states haven't certified. So you can't make, yeah. you can't make those statements. By December 14th. You know, so obviously they haven't yet. Uh, I don't even understand any challenge to their results must be resolved by December 8th. Uh, they, they just pulled that out of their butt. I, I don't even. I think I ran across some reference to some sort of federal uh, federal statute regarding. But federal. Some of these things. Yeah, but federal law does not govern right. state the 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 popular vote. And yeah, it would be it, clearly it would have to be before certification by by Congress, which which is uh, what January 6th. Yeah, but I but but to say that the case, but I mean, the challenge. I would yeah. say any challenges to the results must be made, but right. not resolved, yeah. because now that we're in due process, you can't put a date limit on due process. It's just that's not yeah. how it works, because you could settle this. I, I mean. You'd even settle this after the guy's been sworn in. Yeah. And then they go, wasn't legitimate. You're removed. Right. right. Because that's <laughs> right. just simply how due process works. You can't say, well, you know, we already swore him in. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, you won your case that this was a fraud. But sorry. I mean, he's already president. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. No, no. Especially not, not when if, you consider how close, how how slow the wheels yeah. turn in the judicial system. Because you're not talking about statute of limitations. Right. And maybe people would interpret it that way. Right. Because that's not, if it's filed, it's filed. You have an ongoing case. Right. right? The statute of limitations is you having to, to uh, move this into some sort of judicial proceeding. Right. That's why I said the challenges have to be made, right. but exactly. not resolved. So the courts, you know, I, I said this from the very beginning, once all of this stuff came about, the courts are going to be very important. We knew the courts were going to be very important the way they fought over Amy Coney Barrett. But now we have uh, Medicaid can be cut from Planned Parenthood in Texas the and Louisiana, the Fifth Circuit uh, holds. Now, what's what's crazy is. Of course, 
the mainstream media and even Fox News is going to offer the challenge, right? Yeah. Just, just as an aside, when you go, go to the Fifth Circuit, which I was just there, the Fifth mm -hmm. Circuit uh, Court uh, website, it does not say search rulings. It says search opinions. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So the federal court, uh, the appeals court held, that's the proper term there, held Monday that Texas and Louisiana can cut off Medicaid funding to Planned Parenthood clinics, reversing an earlier appellate opinion that blocked Texas from enforcing its ban. Now, this is this is pretty significant because what you see here is the court looking at evidence that's come forward that the mainstream media and the liberal politicians want you to think are, quote, conspiracy theories, right? right. So what you have actually is the evidence that comes forward through an investigation, through a, I don't know, action of whistleblowers and, and uh, investigative reporting that shows that Planned Parenthood was arguably engaged in the trafficking of baby parts. And because there is a federal law, imagine that, that prevents people from getting federal fundings for trafficking in baby parts, Texas and Louisiana uh, can and Mississippi can now take away Medicaid funds from Planned Parenthood because of this. Uh, what's and this is very interesting too. Six nominees of of President Trump now sit on this particular court. So you have four of the six participating in this past Monday's case. And all four joined Pr Judge Priscilla Owen's opinion for an 11-member majority. So what you have is 14 judges coming through where 11 of them said the evidence that we have received is uh, rises to the level of proof necessary to show that Planned Parenthood uh, has been engaging in the appropriate, inappropriate uh, acquisition of funds for baby parts. I'm not going to use the whole criminal term of trafficking, but they at least come out and say that there is an inappropriate thing uh, going on here. Uh, Abby Johnson, this is very interesting as well. Abby Johnson, who was part of the whistleblower thing, and the expose says, who is a former director of Texas Planned Parenthood, uh, a Planned Parenthood affiliate, said there is no reason for women to go to Planned Parenthood to receive health care when they can go to far superior health care centers and receive more comprehensive health care services. So what you have here, JC, is you have the Planned Parenthood CEO, Alexis McGill-Johnson argued that that the ban would have a devastating impact on Texans. And they said and she in here is here is what she tweeted. Governor Abbott knows exactly who he's hurting, people of color, women and people with low incomes. So the argument is 
is that these people who qualify for Medicaid are being deprived medical access for not just for abortion, not for abortion specifically, but for everything else, because they're not going to get the Medicaid resources through Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is not a health care provider. But that's what Abby Johnson, the former director of a Texas Planned Parenthood affiliate, says. There's no reason for people of low income. It's not that they're saying these low income, these people of color, women and low incomes are not going to receive Medicare funding. It's saying they're not going to receive it at Planned Parenthood. And her point is there's no reason for women to go to Planned Parenthood to receive health care. They can go to superior health care centers, their hospitals. They can go to comprehensive Healthcare services from hospitals and doctors who specialize and still receive Medicare funding. The only reason I think what she's alluding to here is the only reason to go to Planned Parenthood is for an abortion. Mm -hmm. But we all know. And here's the catch. I want to connect the dot for everybody here. I don't know if people realize this, but uh, here we have about a third of the revenue received by Planned Parenthood is from government health services and reimbursement grants, such as Medicaid. Now, the Hyde Act says that they cannot receive federal funding for abortion. Mm. So they can't get federal funding if all they do is abortion. So if you pull the Medicare funding for the health care that they say they're providing to justify the income to feed the abortion industry, then what you're doing is you're cutting out their financial access to support abortion. It's it uh, just to make which sure which is illegal, which they're not allowed to fund. to fund. Yeah. yeah. So what they're doing is they're laundering their abortion funding mm-hmm. through the access to uh, grants and Medicaid funding, which now the Fifth Circuit says the state can pull from them because they're using the funding, uh, because their funding also comes from trafficking, uh, from from selling baby parts. Mm-hmm. Are they a nonprofit? They are a nonprofit. So they're violating, they're actually violating uh, nonprofit law because you're not, you're not, you're not supposed to be supposed to substantially engage in another activity that doesn't further your stated purpose. So they're, they're messed up on both grounds. Number one, they don't. So there's, if they state their purpose is healthcare, number one, they don't engage in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So they would, they would have to make an argument. Well, abortion is healthcare. Right. Yeah. But that's illegal for us to give you money for that anyway. Right. So you can't even make that argument. Right. And then they don't, they don't engage in healthcare. They actually subcontract. Mm-hmm. They 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 just refer people elsewhere because they don't have those services. Right. They're simply abortion clinics. That's all they are. They're not health. They're not healthcare providers. So, I mean, well, we're talking about David Dallas. Not only do they need to be defunded, they they need to be shut down. Well, they and, need to be criminally prosecuted. prosecuted. Yeah. So David Delayden's explosive undercover video from 2015 is where a lot of this comes out. Uh, Planned Parenthood describes the footage as misleading and highly edited. However, the court says, uh, no, it was not deceptively edited. 
And what I think most people who know who are actually involved in this is that this was all part of that coercion campaign to make people not understand what's actually happening. Mm. So the Fifth Circuit's decision, he says, actually uh, confirms that our undercover footage is accurate and reliable evidence of serious criminality in the abortion industry and fetal trafficking enterprises. Shock and awe, this is what plan to parenthood does yeah and now that we've gotten rid of the obama massive flood of baby killing supporting judges you're going to actually see some more of this i think yeah we talked about this when the thing came down in louisiana when uh the legislature and jindal did what they did to try to um throw out planned parenthood and you mm -hmm. know and pass various laws and and the court you know basically told him you can't you can't pass your own laws right. about this issue which was you know obviously not a constitutionally enumerated power so they were well justified to do what they did and um so this this uh this kind of this overturns that right at this point right so so getting back to the state in this particular case the state's back to being able to control this right. issue like they should right and to control the funding which yeah. is really really important so the Supreme Court has has issued a new opinion on the uh, Cuomo's restrictions, COVID restrictions on religious gatherings. I wanted to start off with this headline because I'm actually going to bring you directly to their opinion. But I wanted to, to bring up this headline because you have the Supreme Court issuing an opinion that, yes, Cuomo, uh, that no Cuomo cannot shut down these churches and now you have Cuomo saying that their opinion is irrelevant. And yet, you know, five years ago, well, six months ago, anybody else who said that the Supreme Court's opinions were irrelevant would be engaging in heresy and treason and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And now that it doesn't fit them, then then that's, you know, that's what we have going on here today. So. We have. I went through and I highlighted this is the this is the opinion. Now, per curiam means the majority opinion was issued by all the judges without any distinction as to who is the author. So that's what that means. So the majority opinion is released. Now, remember, this is an application for injunctive relief. And this is not the end of the case. This just simply says that they cannot enforce these laws. So the, the laws cannot be enforced shutting down the churches uh, while the case is pending. And what's interesting is that uh, the standard, they have shown that their First Amendment claims are likely to prevail, which is very, very telling. And they've made us, uh, the applicants have made a strong showing that the challenge restrictions violate the, quote, minimum requirement of neutrality for religion. Now, what's interesting is uh, the distinctions that the court makes. Look at this. In a red zone, while a synagogue or a church may not admit more than 10 persons, businesses categorized as essential may admit as many people as they wish. And so they actually discuss in this, JC, the arbitrary nature of this idea of what's essential and non-essential and how it's not actually held to be 
uh, within the standards of the courts. Now, this is still, uh, this is, we are now in, uh, let's see, this is still the pure curium. And now we get to Justice uh, uh, Gorsuch's uh, concurrence. Okay, he says, uh, let's see, likelihood of the merits in a red zone, while a synagogue church may not admit more than 10 persons, businesses categorized as essential may admit as many people as they wish. While attendance at houses of worship is limited to 25 persons, even non-essential businesses may decide for themselves how many persons to admit. Large, a large store in Brooklyn that could literally have hundreds of people shopping on any given day. But yet churches are limited to 10 or 25 persons. Um, the court, the majority opinion says it's hard to see how the challenged regulations can be regarded as narrowly tailored. And so they grant the injunction. And so... The final category here is the loss of First Amendment freedoms for even minimal periods of time unquestionably constitutes irreparable injury. So what the majority opinion did, JC, was just meet all the criteria. They're likely to pre proceed, prevail at the end of the day. Number two, it's not applied in any content neutral way. The churches are actually have greater restrictions than the local businesses and there is irreparable harm. Just so you guys see that, uh, I love what the what what is what it says right here. Even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. There are so many dings in here. It's just not. It's not even funny. Gorsuch writes after the applicants asked this court for relief. The governor reclassified the areas in question from orange to yellow. And this change means that the applicants may hold 50% of their maximum occupancy. The dissent would deny relief at this time, but allow the diocese and Agadath Israel to renew their requests if the recent reclassification is reversed. So the whole dissent, Roberts, Breyer, Sotomayor uh, and Kagan say, well, maybe it violates, maybe it doesn't, but it's moot because after they filed the opinion, Cuomo uh, reversed his, his executive order and now it's moot, meaning let him file again if he bumps it up. Mm. But the majority court is not buying that whole moot thing, which is something that you and I've talked about before, which is very, 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 very important. They said injunctive relief is still called for because the applicants remain under constant threat that the area in question will be reclassified as red or orange. So the understanding that with the swipe of a pen, the court, the, that the, um, that these churches could fall back under this thing because it's left to the, the, the governor's discretion. Right mm -hmm. now, this is Gorsuch's concurrence. So what we've been reading is the, you, the opinion of the five majority Gorsuch 
I have just simply reconfirmed my admiration for Gorsuch in this opinion. And by the way, reconfirmed my distrust for Kavanaugh in his subsequent concurrence as well. I just want to point out a few things that Gorsuch says here. Government is not free to disregard the First Amendment in time of crisis. Uh, he says, yet recently during the COVID pandemic, certain states seem to have ignored these long settled principles. He calls the governors, he doesn't call them executive orders. He calls them edicts. He calls them decrees. It's just beautiful. He says, New York's governor has asserted the power to assign different color codes to different parts of the state and govern each by executive decree. Wow. That's that's a great, I mean, that's so succinct. Yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing. In Orange Zones, he says it's not much different. Churches and synagogues are limited to 25 people. These restrictions apply to even the largest cathedrals and synagogues, which ordinarily hold hundreds And the restrictions apply no matter the precautions taken, including social distancing, wearing masks, leaving doors and windows open for going, seeing and singing and disinfecting spaces between services. At the same time, Gorsuch says, the governor has chosen to impose no capacity restrictions on certain businesses he considers essential. Bicycle repair shops. Signage companies, accountants, lawyers, insurance agents, hardware stores, acupuncturists, liquor stores. He says, so at least according to the governor, it may be unsafe to go to church, but it's always fine to pick up another bottle of wine or shop for a new bike or spend the afternoon exploring your distal points and meridians. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew public health would so perfectly align with secular convenience? Nice. Don't you? I just want to kiss the man. I just want to <laughs> grab his shoulders and give him a big fat kiss on the cheek. He says, almost, as almost, this is Rehnquist, beautiful Rehnquist style writing. I just, I just, but bolder than Rehnquist, right? Mm-hmm. As almost everyone on the court recognizes today, squaring the governor's edicts with our traditional First Amendment rules is no easy tasks. <laughs> He says people may gather inside for extended period of times at a bus station and airports, in laundromats, banks, and in hardware stores and liquor stores. No apparent reason exists while people may not gather subject to identical restrictions in churches, synagogues, especially when religious institutions have been playing. They stand stand ready, able, and willing to follow all the safety precautions required of the essential businesses and perhaps more besides. The only explanation for treating for treating religious places different seems to be a judgment that what happens there just isn't as as essential as what happens in secular spaces. He says in his judgment, the governor's judgment, laundry and liquor, travel and tools are all essential while traditional religious exercises are not. That is exactly the kind of discrimination the First Amendment prohibits or forbids. He says uh, here again, in recent months, certain other governors have issued similar edicts. And when he does this, he starts talking, when he mentioned before other states and other governors, Gorsuch, I think, is sending out a very clear signal. We're coming after the rest of these. 
You file the cases in your states. Here's what you're going to find when it reaches us. This is a clear indication. He says, in far too many places for far too long, our first freedom has fallen on deaf ears. Now, in his dis- in his concurrence, he goes about to eviscerate Roberts. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about people always talking about JC about this whole love relationship that that Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg had and they had tea together. They enjoyed each other. Can I just tell you, there's no love between Gorsuch and Roberts. Mm -hmm. And this proves it. He says the chief justice, he's talking about the case where the Supreme Court, uh, without the uh, help of uh, Barrett, held that Newsom could apply these restrictions on the churches. He says the chief justice expressed willingness to defer defer to executive orders in the pandemic's early stages. He says now as we round out 2020 and face the prospect of entering a second calendar year living in the pandemic shadow, that rationale has expired according to its own terms. He says, even if the Constitution has taken a holiday during this pandemic, it cannot become a sabbatical. He calls the the Newsom opinion written by Roberts a non-binding and expired concurrence. Are you kidding me? And then he comes out and says the opinion was wrong from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have not read for a, for decades a Supreme Court justice openly criticize another Supreme Court justice like this. He goes in to cut apart. When he wrote it, he walked into Robert's office and slapped him in the face with it. Oh, man. Smack. Here's my concurrence. He goes about to, once again, can I just put this on full screen here? Vindication for Chris Ann over this errant application of the Jacobson the Jacobson case where everybody's like oh well the Supreme Court held in 1903 that they can force you to do this and therefore they can force you to wear masks he goes through in this opinion and completely eliminates the Jacobson argument for shutting down churches and forcing things like this uh he goes in to describe all of uh the the restrictions that may or may not be uh, uh, prescribed on the churches. He says, even if judges may impose emergency restrictions on rights that some of them have found hiding in the Constitution's penumbras, (laughs) it does not follow that the same fate should befall the textually explicit right to religious exercise. Awesome. I mean, this is absolutely beautiful. Uh, It did even he points out, as I pointed out earlier, that even Jacobson says in its context that they were not contravening the Constitution of the United States or infringing on any right granted or secured by that telling instrument. He accuses Justice uh, Roberts of a serious rewriting of history. Mm. Uh, And it's just absolutely amazing he says why why some have why have some mistaken this court's modest decision in jacobson for the towering authority that overshadows the constitution during a pandemic uh 
He says, in the end, I can only surmise that much of the answer lies in a particular judicial impulse to stay out of the way in times of crisis. But if that impulse may be understandable or even admirable in other circumstances, we may not shelter in place when the Constitution is under attack. Things never go well when we do that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. He goes on to and then he goes on to defeat the whole uh, argument uh, to, well, it's moot because the judge mm. or because the governor, you know, pushed his Changed. on and off button. Mm. Right. He says it is time past time to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shop and bike shops, but shutter churches, synagogues and mosques. Man. Can you see why I like I, this guy I'm, now? I'm so, <laughs> and I'm so glad we have a we finally have a justice that that speaks, like stands up, like f you know, flexes his muscle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because so many of these guys have been so mealy mouth for for decades. Well, in the last he didn't have to write anything. No, he didn't have like, to write decision anything. Was the decision and in he, favor and, and, of what he, he was doing? Agreed with. Oh no, so he didn't have. He didn't no. have to add anything. No, no, no. So he I came in. Like and boom. I like that he comes out boom. like I got. I got this. All right. <laughs> boom. You kind of picture him, and it's brushing the others aside. Like all right, it's so outside the norm for Supreme Court operation these days. You know, the go along to get along. Yeah. We're colleagues. We have to play each other nice and love each other. And Gorsuch is like boom. Courage. The gloves are coming off courage. because this is the Constitution we're talking about. This is not polit politics, yeah. and I'm not going to let you get away with it. It's courage. That's right. It's virtue. Yeah, it's he's, absolute he's virtue. a defender of the Constitution. Kavanaugh is not, by the way, in the last few minutes here. I want to show you what Kavanaugh is not. Kavanaugh. Remember it's Friday. Yeah, I know. I We got just a, couple, a minute or two. Kavanaugh says that he would agree that temporary injunctions are warranted because of COVID, but not agree that the injunctive relief is unnecessary because the governor has the on and off button, mm. right? So he agrees with the liberals that it's okay to shut down the churches in the name of pandemic, but that the uh, injunction should be granted uh, under certain circumstances and not be decided as moot. So Kavanaugh spends his entire concurring opinion sucking up to Roberts. It is absolutely outrageous. Uh, he says uh, the COVID pandemic remains extraordinarily serious and deadly. The Constitution principally entrusts the safety and the health of the people to the politically accountable officials at the states. Wow. This is something where where this statement is true when you think about the limited power of the federal government, meaning it doesn't trust this to the federal government. It's one of those powers not delegated reserved to the states. But what this statement does, JC, is completely ignores the 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 superior authority of the state constitutions denying that the veracity of that statement. So there is no state constitution which entrusts the health of the people by constitution. 
Every state constitution entrusts the rights of the people to their elected officials, not health. So this statement is not incorrect when you think about it from a federal state limitation. Right. The power is not it's delegated. Not federal government says it's this not is a, in the state realm. Right. This is a state realm. But the state constitution says no. Say no. And so I every day I lose more and more respect for Kavanaugh and his whole concurrence was a complete <laughs> suck up start very high. suck up to Roberts. Yeah, I didn't start very high, but it, it gets worse. His uh, his his whole I mean, he might I, I can just picture him sitting before uh, uh, Roberts kissing his hand, your eminence, your eminence, your eminence. And it just well, made me like sick, he, like he browses news headlines to formulate his his uh, yeah. legal opinion. Oh, yeah. The whole the whole. And, and that's the one thing when you go and read this opinion, we didn't get into the whole thing. But when you go read this opinion, all the dissent is based on headlines. All the dissent and even even Kavanaugh based on headlines. Yep. Well, well, conservatives wanted the frat boy. So there you go. Him. You got the frat boy. God bless you guys. We will see you on Monday. Yeah.